Hey, I'm Pastor Mark, um, founding pastor here at E3. Every so often, about once a month or so, I get the opportunity to uh, preach. So for those of you who don't know me, um, uh, hello. And those of you who do know me, um, sorry. I don't know. Uh, so especially um, uh, uh, today, I, I'm like so excited, but I'm also a little bit conflicted. And, th- and this is why. So when Pastor Eric asked me to teach and he gave me the scripture of Philippians 4, if you've been around uh, for any length of time here at E3, you know that Philippians 4 is my life passage. Uh, it's literally the, this, these words written by Paul uh, uh, that, that the Holy Spirit gave him literally saved my life. So I feel this very deeply and have taught on it quite a bit. So uh, just to let you know, this is not a rehash, though, of every message. It's actually really interesting. Every time I go back to Philippians 4, God reveals additional truths to me. And uh, so for those of you who've been around, you'll probably hear some thoughts that, that are reoccurring. But uh, as I've been just uh, marinating in this scripture all week, uh, you know what? Sometimes we need to be reminded of God's truth and love. So for some of you, you may some of the stories you may hear today, you may have heard before. Uh, but for some of you, uh, you haven't. But they're good stories. And I tried to come up with new stories, but... But I came back to it, and I'm like, you know what? That's actually, I believe God gave me that story to, to tell. So uh, just going right uh, into it, um, you know, this whole idea of joy. And I think this, this idea of joy, especially in the Christmas season, we've got it confused. Um, and we think that joy uh, is something that God did not initially define or make as joy. And just like many things, we have changed it. To illustrate this, I wanted to play a little bit of a game. And uh, there's your participation Participation uh, is, is needed. I've actually found different foods, uh, uh, pictures of different foods uh, before uh, selective breeding and before GMO. So essentially, Foods, natural foods that, that God gave us that, that uh, we have changed to almost something that's unrecognizable today. So the first one is this. Does anybody know what that is? And if you know what it is, don't yell it out first. Just make a guess. Pomegranate, okay. A lime? A guava, okay. Anybody know what it is? It's a banana. Yeah, that is, go back, that is what a banana actually looks like before uh, humanity started selective breeding and GMOs, so hardly recognizable. All right, the next one. This one's easier. It's a watermelon, but this is, this is a watermelon that, that, you know, that hasn't been altered. It has lots of seeds and not a whole lot of red, yummy deliciousness, Right? So, yeah, watermelon. It's, uh, how about this? Kumquat, anybody else? Grapes, cherries. You're never going to get this one if you don't know what it is. It's an eggplant. Yeah, that is what 
See, there's a picture to prove it. Uh, yeah, that, that is an eggplant before, uh, not, even, not even purple, you know. Uh, and then the last one, anybody know? Yeah, thank you for ruining the game. <laughs> yeah, it's corn. I mean, it just, it blows your mind. So, uh, I was thinking about this in the, in the sense of, of joy, right? That, that we have constructed, and, and man has constructed this whole idea of what joy and, and really has conflated that with happiness and has moved us so far away from God's initial intent. So in Philippians 4, uh, verse 4, we start out, God says, always be full of joy in the Lord. I say it again, rejoice. But the problem is that most of us, when we think of joy in this sentence, we're thinking of the banana that we all know. We're thinking about the watermelon that's seedless. We're thinking about the, the big purple eggplant, or we're thinking about the big, juicy, delicious corn with butter and salt and pepper on it, right? Mm-hmm. But it, we have changed this definition, and I think we as people of God, we have to go back and say, well, what was that initial thing? For so many of us in Christmas season, I was thinking through like different things that, that like are on our Christmas wish list. And one of those things for a lot of us is, you know, tech, right? A new TV, a new I whatever, you know, iPhone, iPad, I, 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 right? And I, I love this picture, actually. All, everybody's like on their stuff, but they're not, they're a family, but they're not connecting at all. And I kind of went through these, and I actually found some philosophers and th theologians, they're not all Christian, that kind of speak to this kind of like global idea of what true joy is. Now, this is one of my preconceived, or my, uh, my uh, notions, or I believe that all truth is God's truth, okay? So, uh, what I mean by that is somebody who's not a Christian, if they are speaking truth, that's God's truth. You get that? Like, uh, if it's true, then it's God's. So the first person I, uh, that I wanted to talk about, in a quote about joy, is from Gandhi. And Gandhi says, Joy lives in the fight, in the attempt, in the suffering involved, not in the victory itself. Not in the victory itself. The next thing I was thinking that maybe a lot of people, maybe you are, are hoping for this Christmas, and these aren't necessarily bad things, but just putting it in perspective, they're not going to give you joy, is a car. Is that Rock, the Rock? Okay, I was wondering if that was him or not. I, I don't know why, like, I'm used to him, like, Baywatch kind of thing, not necessarily in a, in a suit. But that's a pretty slick car in everything. And, and, and if any of you want to purchase me that car, uh, I mean, I would be very appreciative, but it's just not going to bring me joy. Just know that. Uh, this next uh, 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 kind of this idea about joy or this thought about joy, the next slide, please. 
So, Heidi Baker, suffering is seeing what Jesus sees, and joy is doing what Jesus does. I, I've made a uh, discipline of not checking the news first thing in the morning. Uh, uh, because I believe that we have come into a place that we are, we are seeing so much horrible suffering that, and, and so many, myself, you know, I want to check the news to see, like, what, what's going on in the world, but I've, I've learned within myself that, that it is corrosive because I see what Jesus sees, but I have no mechanism to do what Jesus does. And uh, I think that there's like this thing that, that, that exposing yourself to hurt and suffering is, is what you need to do. That, that is, but you have to compile that with action. And I just love the, this, this kind of this statement from her. The next one, and this one's a personal one, food. I absolutely love food and comfort food, eating food, anything to do with food. I just, uh, 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 and, and a lot of times in my mind, joy, you know, food makes me happy, right? Like, I want to eat, 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 eat. And uh, so this one, this one's a, a close one uh, to me and my heart. And uh, kind of the, the, the quote that I associated with this, Schweitzer, uh, love includes fellowship in suffering, in joy, and in effort. It's kind of an echo of Gandhi uh, talking about this journey, that, that joy is found in this, 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 this effort of working uh, with one another, in fellowship, in this suffering, that together we are in the fight. We are in the effort. And then finally, I think a lot of us, you know, we have this American dream, right? To, to own a nice big home or, or something like that and have this very picturesque kind of picture of like, oh, we're happy and we have the nice home with the white picket fence and, and all this kind of stuff. But as we know, a lot of times behind these beautiful doors is a lot of pain and a lot of hurt. And the quote that I put uh, together with this French uh, uh, philosopher, love of God is pure when joy and suffering inspire an equal degree of gratitude. And we're going to talk, Paul's going to, uh, has a similar statement that we're going to talk about a little bit later in that. But just again, love of God is pure when joy and suffering inspire an equal degree of gratitude. Just think about the magnitude of, of that statement. So, just like peace is not the absence of conflict, joy is not absence of suffering. Let me repeat that. Just like peace is not absence of conflict, joy is not the absence of suffering. Suffering and pain and hurt and bad things can coexist in the same realm or the same time as joy when 
there is common purpose and fellowship because absence of suffering does not affect a Christian's joy. And that's what we're really going to unpack today. So jumping back a little bit in Philippians chapter 3, verse 1, <laughs> to set up chapter 4, Paul writes this, Whatever happens, my dear brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. And then he says this, I never get tired of telling you these things, and I do it to safeguard your faith. Well, what does rejoicing in the Lord have to do with safeguarding your faith? What is this, you know, being just in the depth of joy in the Lord, how does that safeguard your faith, or what does it safeguard your faith from? And this was one of the big reasons that I wrote Immersion, a book I wrote many years ago, just about this, this uh, uh, str- lack of joy that I saw in the Christian church, and how how we don't safeguard ourselves against some of these these things. And when you're in a community that I when there's no joy, I think that different things infiltrate that community. Some of those things are pettiness. How many stories have you heard about churches blowing up because of carpet color? You know, not agreeing on carpet color or things like that. It's just petty, right? Has nothing to do with the gospel. Or despair. Have you ever experienced despair? Just wanting to give up? Hypercriticism. I believe, and I've seen it so many times in so many churches and so many different organizations, that once somebody gets into the hypercritical like rut, it's nearly impossible for them to get out of that rut. It is so easy to walk into any house, any church, any organization and find stuff that's wrong, right? And you can get stuck in that where all you see is the wrong and you criticize, why don't you fix this? Why don't you fix this? Why don't you fix this? And missing maybe some of the beauty and the majesty of what really makes up that beautiful family or that beautiful church or that beautiful organization. And then ultimately, division. Because once pettiness and despair and hypercriticism comes in, ultimately, that leads to division. Division in the home, division in the church, division in the organization. So back to Philippians 4. Again, always be full of joy in the Lord. I say it again, rejoice. And then he goes on to this and he goes into some very practical things about just how do you combat despair and hypercriticism and all of these kind of things? How do you combat these things? Well, number one, he says, is let everyone see you are considerate in all you do. Don't be selfish. And I know that, like, this is not saying, like, hey, you know what, look at me, I'm so considerate and stuff like that. This is just, you know what, be a leader in how you're being considered, showing that you care about other people. Be intentional about it. The second thing is, remember the Lord is coming soon. Why is this important? Because you know what, we're moving toward something. We are moving toward 
uh, going and being with God for eternity. And right now, this is a temporary state of life. And we have a very special opportunity in this period in our life to be considerate to one another, to lift one another up, to be a blessing, to use our overflow in Christ to bless others. I really like how the prophet Isaiah says it in chapter 61 in verse 10. He says, I am overwhelmed with joy in the Lord my God. Let me say that again. I am overwhelmed with joy in the Lord my God. And then he goes in this imagery, and I love this imagery. For he has dressed me with the clothing of salvation and draped me in a robe of righteousness. I am like a bridegroom in his wedding suit or a bride with her jewels. When I was a kid and I would be dragged to weddings and everybody would say, the bride is so beautiful. Like, I didn't get that as a kid. Like, I'm like, it's the same person in a white dress, hopefully. I I just didn't really understand that. But now that I'm an old crusty guy, and I go to weddings, and I, and I see this inner glow of, like, hope and excitement. You know, and I always thought they were talking about physical beauty when I was a kid, but that's not what they're talking about at all, right? That they're talking about this just this, this overwhelming glow. And I, uh, you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, you know, and, and, and it just, it's beautiful. It's just absolutely beautiful. And this is what the prophet Isaiah is talking about, is this joy when we're joyful, that we transcend being bald and wrinkled and, you know, maybe having a little pot belly, you know, and, and we have this inner glow. Have you ever had somebody say, there's just something different about you? Like, not in a weird way, but like, 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 like you have this joy, you know, that, that, that it goes beyond your circumstance. And that's kind of the same thing that the prophet Isaiah is trying to communicate. And then Paul, going back to Philippians 4 in verse 6, he says this statement that has always like irritated me a little bit. In the New Living Translation, it says, don't worry about anything, but in the New Living, the way I learned it as a new Christian, be anxious for nothing. I'm an anxious person. I'm anxious about everything. Like, I'm just like, this isn't done, this is done, we got to do this, got to do this, and all this kind of stuff. And it took me a long time to really kind of grasp onto this. And, and when he said, don't be anxious for nothing or don't worry about anything, I didn't know what to do with that. I felt like very uh, inadequate because that's not my native state. And these next words really helped me transcend a lot of dark times where my worry and my anxiousness would overtake me. He says, instead, so instead, when, so whenever you're worrying, whenever you're anxious, he's saying, instead of doing that, instead do this. Pray about everything. You're worried about your kids? Don't sit there and be anxious. Don't sit there and be worried. Pray. You're worried about your job? 
You're worried about your spouse. You're worried about whatever. Instead of being worried about it, pray about it, and then be very specific. Tell God what you need and thank Him for what He has done. This is why I believe Pastor Eric and, and myself and I believe uh, Lori, Pastor Lori are just so uh, big on journaling. Is because we as people are forgetful. We forget what to be thankful for. And I think it is a, I don't want to say mandatory, but almost mandatory thing for a Christian to write down the blessings of God. Every time that there's a blessing, to write it down because you know why? You'll forget. Not only you'll forget, I'll forget. We forget because when anxiety and worry overwhelms us, we forget all the blessings and the times that God has come through and blessed us. So tell God what you need, but not only tell Him what you need, God, I need a car, I need a house, I need an iPhone, I need all this kind of stuff, you know, treating God like He's a cosmic vending machine or something, or, or, or the cosmic Amazon, add to cart, right? Uh, oh, you know what I'm talking about. It made it so easy. You know, you, you know, you, you tell Amazon what you want. I won't say what you need. But how many times do you like send a handwritten note to Amazon thanking them? You don't. And you shouldn't. They think you're weird. But this is not a one-way relationship with God. It is, it is a two-way relationship. Thank you, God. For, this is what I need, and thank you for what you have done. And then if you do that, then Paul says, then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. And then once again, he says this, his peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. Remember back in chapter 3, he's saying, I'm going to safeguard your faith if you do these things. He's going again in, in chapter 4, guard your hearts and minds in Jesus Christ. So what does your heart and mind need protecting from. So, I've actually uh, collected three sentences or paragraphs from, from different people who have allowed despair and circumstances and depression and anxiety to overwhelm them. And I think that they're so eloquently put, and I think it illuminates those of us who do not follow God's instruction to us, that we put ourselves in risk. We put our hearts and our minds and our faith at risk to this to happen. And I just want you to like absorb the weight of these statements. A human being can survive almost anything as long as she sees the end in sight. But depression is so insidious, and it compounds daily, making it impossible to ever see the end. That fog is like a cage without a key. Hopelessness. Or from this other person, I'm tired means a permanent state of exhaustion that sleep doesn't fix. Sleep just isn't sleep anymore. It's an escape. You ever been there? 
I just want to go to sleep because I just can't handle life anymore. I've been there. Or finally, this one. And this one, this one spoke so much to me. Having anxiety and depression is like being scared and tired at the same time. It's the fear of failure coupled with no urge to be productive. It's wanting friends but hating socializing. It's wanting to be alone but not wanting to be lonely. It's feeling everything at once yet being paralyzingly numb. I don't know about you, but I need my heart and my mind and my faith guarded from that place. In Luke chapter 3, verses 7 through 9, John the Baptist, who was like a wild dude like just like he would not do well in 21st century kind of America so but people seem to like him until they cut his head off uh when the crowds came to John for baptism he said you brood of snakes it's not a nice thing to say by the way Who warned you to flee the coming wrath? Who warned you to flee the coming wrath? Prove by the way you live that you have repented from your sins. Those of you who know me, like I'm an action kind of faith kind of guy. Like it's cool if you want your Christian t-shirt and your fish on your car and stuff like that. Or you want to say praise Jesus because I'll praise Jesus right along with you. But really, when the rubber hits the road, to me, like John's statement, prove by the way you live that you have repented from your sins. Be considerate to all. Live an abundant life beyond yourself. Be a blessing. And turn to God. Don't just say to each other, we're safe. We're descendants of Abraham. Hey, I said the sinner's prayer. I'm cool. I got my ticket to heaven. That means nothing. For I tell you, God can create children of Abraham from these very stones. And then he softens it up a little bit. Even now, the axe of God's judgment is poised. (laughs) Ready to sever the roots of the trees. And then listen to this final statement. He says, yes, every tree that does not produce good fruit will be chopped down and thrown into the fire. But let me tell you, any gardeners out there? Do your fruits and vegetables just kind of grow on their own? Or do they need to be cultivated? They need to be cultivated absolutely need to be cultivated. We have one of those uh, trendy above-ground gardens in my backyard. You know what I'm talking about? So we have made this garden so many times because we're going to have like nice, you know, organic vegetables and all this kind of stuff. So the first one, guess what happened? 
the deer came and ate it all. So we put up a fence, like a makeshift fence, and uh, planted all another one. Guess what happened? The deer came and knocked the fence down and ate all of the thing. So he increased the fence and everything, and, and, every, uh, and then uh, watered it and all this, and then we had all these weeds grow up and choke it out and, and stuff like that. This little garden is actually not much bigger than this, this mat. In fact, I think it's smaller. Like, has cost so much time and money and aggravation just because it's a lot of hard work. And just like growing a garden or growing, you know, fruits and vegetables, that, you know, growing your faith, cultivating joy is a lot of hard work because if you just kind of let it go and like, oh, I'm just going to be joyful in the Lord, the reality is that, that the enemy in this, you know, metaphor is the deer, you know, are going to come and eat your joy or weeds are going to come and choke it out. Uh, that it takes a lot of work. And this is a story I've probably told, you know, five times over the past 15 years. So if you've heard it, just deal with it. Because uh, I think it's the most beautiful story that I understand that really illustrates this. And the story of my mom when we uh, uh, moved into our, my family home or my childhood home. And uh, it had this childhood home still has all of these different fruit trees. And the people who sold uh, the home to us said, all these fruit trees do great except this one orange tree. This one orange tree has never produced fruit. So if you know my mom, she'll be here Tuesday, by the way, so you'll hear her. Uh, uh, she's like, that. You, you don't tell my mom, you know, something can't happen. Like, uh, uh, she's um, uh, the one who came up with one of my life axioms of persistence wears resistance, right? You just keep on going and eventually things are going to break down and move out of the way. Or you're going to like get a big hole in your head or something like that. So I remember as a kid, I was a little kid, and, and we're like, one, we didn't understand, like, why, why do you care that this orange tree doesn't give oranges? But she wanted it to give oranges. So year one, she went out and she watered it and she fertilized it and, and she pruned it back. And she was so excited for the next season to come. And you know what happened in the first season? Nothing. And it became a joke. Season after season, she would go and she would do this. And then she started singing to the thing. And if you've heard my mom singing, you know, we're like, good Lord, you know, you're going to kill the thing, you know. But she would go out and she would sing, uh, you know, hymns to it and water it and fertilize it and prune it. And after a few seasons of nothing and us really just giving her a hard time, I remember it produced a couple of miserable little oranges. And that was probably even worse, right? Like all of these years trying to cultivate this tree, and, but that, that did not set her back at all. She kept on doing the same thing. She knew what to do. She knew what this tree needed. She knew if she gave it sun, if she gave it water, pruning, and fertilizer, and love, essentially it would give oranges. And I kid you not, 
from basically, I think we moved in uh, at the age of uh, like age of five when I moved in there, and I moved out at 18. That in that span of time, that tree went from a barren tree to a tree that that had so many big jalousis. That's delicious, juicy oranges, by the way. Made up a new word. I'm known for that. Uh, Delusis oranges. Uh, uh, that, I mean, we didn't even know what to do with them. I mean, we would have orange juice, orange pie, orange marmalade, all orange, and the neighbors would get oranges, and, and all of these kinds of things. And, and it was just this idea that, that, you know what? This tree, just like these oranges, needed a heck of a lot of love. And, and depending on where you are in your, in your joy right now, it may take years of cultivating and doing the right things in your life to, to, for your life to start producing a joyful fruit. And so just like a tree needs sun and it needs water and it needs pruning and it needs uh, fertilizer, I've kind of equated the spiritual equivalent for us to, to get joy. Uh, son is God, just, just spending time with God the Father. And then water would be just relationships, not only with God, but with one another. It just hydrates our soul. And then pruning is accountability. Just having these conversations of like, hey, you know what, Mark, when, when you responded that way, that really wasn't considerate. That wasn't loving. What's going on in your life? Maybe we need to prune something in your life a little bit back. And then fertilizer is suffering. And I had a, a mentor when I, uh, when I was in high school, and I was going through a really hard time, and he said something to me, uh, and I'm going to change the language of it, but uh, he said, the more stuff you go through in life, the better character you're going to have. And the reality is that stuff, that fertilizer, that suffering makes is the nutrients that help you enrich your soul and allow you to achieve and understand what true joy is. So Philippians chapter 4, and continuing on, Verses 8 through 9, and Paul says this, And now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing. Fix your thoughts on this. On what is true, what is honorable, what is right, what is pure, what is lovely, and what is admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. I just listened to a podcast on, uh, and I forget what the doctor, uh, their, their title is, but essentially they study uh, the brain and, and thinking, and uh, the whole podcast was on how actually it is impossible for a human to have two thoughts in their mind at the same time. Now, I reject that because... I'm a multitasker, right? But apparently, 
He's saying that it's absolutely uh, impossible. Studies show, like some of us may be able to switch thoughts very quickly, but we're only able to hold one thought at any given time. This is why, you know, texting and driving or, or, or being on the phone when you're in a, you know, in a, you, you think that you're engaged, but you're not. Whatever you're focused on in that minute or second, that's, you're 100% there. So when Paul says, fix your thoughts on what is true, you know what, if you're thinking about what is true, guess what, you're, what else you're thinking about? Nothing. You only can think about what is true. What is honorable, you can only think about what is honorable. And for those of you who suffer with, uh, uh, with dark thoughts, like in things that, that, you know, your mind wanders to things that you just don't want to go, this is so important. Because you go through, and you, you, if you're thinking about what is true or honorable or lovely, you're not thinking about what is not honorable, what is filthy, what, what is destructive, because God has designed you to be able only to think about one thing at one time. And that should be so empowering. You have the choice. And if you're thinking about something that's true and then this other thing comes creeping back in your mind, you know what? Circle back around and start thinking about the other thing again and again and again and you will be victorious. Let me land with this. Philippians chapter uh, 4, obviously. How many times have I said Philippians chapter 4? We're still there. Verses 10 through 13. How I praise the Lord that you are concerned about me again. I know that you have always been concerned for me, but you didn't have the chance to help me. Not that I was ever in need. I told you that we were going to have an echo of the other quote, right? Not that I was ever in need, for I have learned how to be content with whatever I have. I know how to live on almost nothing or with everything. I have learned the secret of living in every situation, whether it is with a full stomach or empty, with plenty or little. For I can do everything through Christ Jesus who gives me strength. Joy is found in having a right relationship with God and people and creation. And when you look at Scripture, so many times when King David or Isaiah, or Jesus was suffering, they would sing. Do you know when Jesus was on the cross and, and he, he uh, we, a lot of times we think he yells out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It's actually a song of David. That, that Jesus was on the cross singing a psalm. And just like my mom singing to the tree to have it come back to life and to bear fruit. And just like Jesus on the cross singing to His Father in heaven, we too 
should sing. We should sing during the hard times. When our kids are not responding the way we think they should be responding or doing the things that we think we should do, we should sing. When we're sitting in traffic instead of other things, we should sing. When our spouse or significant other is disappointed us and is not showing us love in a way that we can feel it, we should sing. When the economy is good, the economy is bad, if the stock market is up, or if the stock market is down, sing. Ultimately, the joy comes from rejoicing in the Lord. And if you're rejoicing in the Lord, God has designed you to only be able to hold on to that one thought, and it protects your hearts and your minds as you follow Jesus Christ. Christ.